Hey, good morning. My name is John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and we are starting a new series. Uh, it's going to be all the way up till Easter here, getting us uh, uh, right in touch with who Jesus was and what he came to do and what that's all about. And this, for the next five or six weeks here, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. And if you've never spent any time in Mark's gospel, uh, you're in for a real treat. Every now and then I have people that tell me, oh, I can't read the Bible. It's too boring. I don't get it. Well, you haven't read Mark. Mark would be the screenplay for an action movie. So it's like Jesus in action. I mean, you can start out with Matthew and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And after the 25th begat, you go, I don't beget it. I don't know what's going on here. Okay, well, you're not going to have that problem with Mark. Okay, you're not. Mark jumps right in, and it's within the first chapter, within the, I mean, just right away on the opening page, you have Jesus being baptized, and he is calling his disciples, he's casting out demons, he's uh, healing people who've been sick uh, from leprosy and stuff. It's, it all just happens, bam, right away. And so it's like, it's just like an action movie. And Mark wanted us to see Jesus in action, so we'd put our faith in him as our Savior, and today, and so that's why today inside your bulletin you find we're going to be looking at the first chapter of Mark, hitting the highlights of that. We couldn't get all of it in, but we'll get as much as we can in here. And it's called The Savior Appears. And so this morning, if you, need, if you don't have a pen with you, you didn't grab one on the way in, get one. You're going to want to take some notes here because there is some good news inside of this lesson today. So I'd like to have a word of prayer for us and ask God to bless us, and we're going to jump right in. Father, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I just thank you that Mark was faithful to write down the things, uh, Lord, that uh, he understood about you. And now we can share, too, uh, in this wonderful news. And so, Father, I pray that today you'll speak and move me out of the way, and we'll learn some things about Jesus and about who we are as his followers, as his children. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Point one on your outline, Mark wrote his gospel so that by seeing Jesus in action, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And you could go, well, how do you know that? Well, here's Mark 1.1, the first verse. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. <laughs> okay. Wow, John, you're a detective. Uh, no, I mean, that's what it says. And by the way, gospel means good news. Would you say those two words with me, please? Good news. That's, and it's not a biography that you'd see on A&E. What this is, is this is an account of the life and times, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus so that we would know who Jesus really is and that we could find forgiveness and new life in his name. And Mark wanted everybody to know that. And so he wrote a fast-paced thing. It's like uh, in Luke's gospel, they start with a Christmas story. Not with Mark. He starts when Jesus jumped into ministry, right when it came about. If you don't know who Mark was, John Mark uh, was a, an associate of Peter, the disciple Peter. And so where he got his information was hanging around Peter and listening to Peter preach. And he wrote these things down so that we could understand who Jesus was. And so when we talk about the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, let me define a couple of terms here that note there. Messiah is the same as Christ. Messiah is Hebrew for the Greek word Christ, which means the anointed one. And, but in reality, it just meant this is the anointed one who would come and save the people. When David was king of Israel, he was the savior of the people. He'd saved them from the giant Goliath. He was the greatest king they ever had. And when the prophet Samuel anointed him as king, when God recognized him as king, he took a horn full of olive oil, a ram's horn, and the olive oil flowed all over David's head. 
and rolled down, rolled down all over him, and it showed that God's spirit was on him. And the prophecies were that a descendant of David would one day come and the Holy Spirit would be all over him. And he would be a mighty savior, an anointed one. Now people thought then that meant that he would be a mighty king, but it was going to be much more than that. In fact, this verse usually gets read at Christmas time. It's from Luke's gospel, where the angel appears to the shepherds. But you'll see how this ties in with talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. The angel reassured the shepherds when the angel appeared to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night outside of Bethlehem. Don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. In some translations, that would be the Christ. It just depends on whether you have the Hebrew or the Greek word in there. So it's a title, meaning anointed one, which meant, for all practical purposes, the rescuer, the Savior, um, who would save God's people. And so that's who Jesus was. And Mark wanted us all to know that. So this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Point one, point two, when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven identified him, identified him as the Son of God. I mean, you have a right to ask, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, who am I following? Well, Mark didn't want to leave any doubts. And so he jumps right in, and here we go. So if this was a movie, a camera would be sweeping in right now on the Jordan River with a guy named John the Baptist baptizing people. Here's how it began. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. In the margin, you can write Isaiah 40, verse 3, if you wonder what he's talking about. There would be a forerunner who would come and prepare the way for the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, for Jesus. Now, this messenger, this forerunner, was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached to people, preached that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And John announced, Someone's coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so here's the opening scene of the movie. The camera is panning in. There's a guy baptizing people. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. He'll forgive you. Turn away from your sin. Come get clean. And the whole idea of baptism, the word baptize, uh, the Greek word baptizo, where we get the English word baptism from, means to dip or to dunk. So Dunkin' Donuts would be baptism donuts. Okay, that's what it would be. Okay, but that's what it means to dip or to dunk. And the whole idea would be this. If you're baptized for your sins, you confess your sins and ask for God's forgiveness. And that's what's going on inside. On the outside, people are seeing that you're going under the water. It's, it's a picture of all your sins are washed downstream and they're gone forever. You know what Mark would call having your sins forgiven and washed downstream? He'd call that good news. Would you say those two words with me, please? Good news. Yeah, and Mark wanted us to know that. It all started, John was the forerunner, but John was given good news, and he said, but I got great news for you. There's not even, I can baptize you when you repent of your sins, and that's good, and that's a good start, but there's somebody coming along 
who can do even better. He can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about why that's important in a second. Well, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now that had never happened at a baptism before. There was something special about this one. This was the one whom John had been talking about. This was Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. Well, how do we know that? Well, the voice from God the Father said so. The voice from heaven said so. And the Holy Spirit descended on like a dove. And not only that, but the heavens were ripped open. You go, what's all that talking about? Well, just write this in the margin also. This is from Isaiah 64. If you just write Isaiah 64, let me read you the first few verses of Isaiah 64. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This is Isaiah 64.1. Listen to this. This was written hundreds of years before this happened. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down and that mountains would tremble, tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. And since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And the prophet Isaiah said, oh God, if you would just come down, because you can do amazing things. If you would come down in power, it would be amazing. And that was the desire, the deepest desire of Isaiah's heart, that the heavens would be ripped open and God would come down. And here, when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, that's exactly what happened. And Mark wrote all this down. Don't want you to miss it. Somebody... John the Baptist was there, and he was making the way. And what he did was good, but what Jesus did was better. Now, here's a note here. It matters that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what John the Baptist was talking about. He said, hey, I can baptize you for forgiveness and repentance. I can call you to that, but I can't give you the Holy Spirit. He can. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all my sins and all of yours. The Bible tells us that even though Jesus had no sin, he became sin on our behalf. He took the sins of the whole world upon himself and paid the penalty. The wages of sin is death, and so Jesus died and paid that penalty. I mean, if this, was, if this piece of paper represented a bill, an itemized bill of all my sins, well, first of all, this paper would have to be like 11 miles long, okay? But if this was an itemized bill of all my sins, when Jesus died on the cross for my sins, my sins were paid in full. And the Bible says that God forgives my sins. When I come, all who come to Christ, our sins are forgiven, and God remembers them no more. You know what Mark would call that? Good news. Would you say those two words with me, please? Good news. Mark says, I got good news here. The Son of God came down. Heaven was ripped open and God came down. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. If you flip open your 
outline, you'll see that there's an application for us. Well, it's the same thing that was going on in those days. It's still going on today as we hear this good news. What people were to hear when Jesus came, what people needed to hear when John the Baptist preached them was that we must repent of our sins, believe the good news, and be baptized. A couple more verses here from Mark. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, and when he preached, and that's where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus said, and he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You know, every now and then I have people that tell me, they go, well, you know, all I know is Jesus said he loves everybody. All I know is God loves everybody. Jesus told us to love each other. That's all I know. Well, then you don't know enough. Learn more. There's more. He did indeed say that. Here's what he also said. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What good news? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We can come to him and be forgiven for every sin, forgiven for every careless thought, every careless word, everything we should have done that we never did. Our grief and our pain we can bring to him. Our shame. It's gone because of what Christ did. When Peter stood up on Pentecost Sunday after Jesus had risen from the dead and the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you've received forgiveness for your sins and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. When Jesus came, he could baptize in the power of the Holy Spirit. You could say, well, what difference does that make? Well, that's this next verse. Paul in Philippians 2.13 kind of unpacks that for us. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I talked to somebody not that long ago. Again, it happens all the time. People come to me. I, they talk to me. They need to surrender their lives to Christ, and they do. We need to get you baptized. And they go, well, I mean, baptism means I've got to stand in front of my family and friends and make a public profession that I follow Jesus now, right? Right. That's exactly what we're doing. And they go, well, see, there's the rub. I mean, yeah, I know I need to come to God and confess my sins, but, you know, I can't even keep my New Year's resolutions. How am I ever going to be a Christian? And I tell them, oh, well, you don't understand the best part of the good news. I mean, here's the middle of the cinnamon roll right here. Okay, the sweetest part. Not only do you come to Christ and confess your sins and receive forgiveness, like what John the Baptist was talking about, he said somebody greater is coming that's going to finish the deal. When you come to Christ, we are putting our faith in him, the one who died on the cross and rose again. He paid the penalty for our sins, became sin on our behalf. We just talked about that. He rose again and conquered death. And he told his disciples, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in heaven. And while I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. He will be with you and he will be in you. To do what? Put that verse back up, Philippians 2.13. I want us to read this together. We have to get this. We have to get this. Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you. Read it out loud with me. Let's start again. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, when I get baptized, I'm showing everybody on the outside that I'm confessing my sins and I've been washed clean. They're washed down the river. They're gone forever. But I'm also saying I'm surrendering my life to Jesus who promised me the Holy Spirit who's working in me to give me the desires and the power to obey him. Now that is good news. 
Well, I got one applause. That's great. Okay. Hey, better than eight o'clock. Maybe we had a time change. It was like seven. You know, it's like I'm all fired up and people are going, oh, it's too loud. You can tone it out. No. Hey, look, this is great news. You come to Jesus. He forgives us of our sins, washes them away, remembers them no more. And he says, now, look, I know you don't, you didn't have the strength to die on the cross for your own sins. You don't have the strength to obey me in your own power. Give your life to me. I'll fill you with my power. And now you can live the life you only dreamed of. Come to Jesus. And you know what Mark would call that? Good news. Can we say that together? Good news. I mean, this whole gospel, you, you, you got to be a part of this every week. This is unbelievable, the stories that he's talking about. The Savior appears. John the Baptist baptized him. Heaven's ripped open. Isaiah, oh, God, if you would just rip open heaven and come down. And Mark says, he did. He did. He's here. His Holy Spirit is here now, and it's available for you today. And Peter said, just repent and believe, like John the Baptist said. Surrender your life, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, why would we wait? Oh, this is good news. Point three. The story goes on. When Jesus called his first disciples, he promised to make them fishers of men. After Jesus was baptized, he was tested by the devil in the wilderness. And then the story goes on that Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he saw Simon, this is uh, Peter, who Mark would have hung with and gotten all these notes from. So that's why he knows exactly what was said here. So he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I'll make you fishers of men. Well, at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. You get the idea that he's not had conversations with these people before about this. And he calls them to follow him, and they do couple of thoughts here. First of all, Jesus called his disciples to join him in his mission. I mean, understand this, this whole movie, if you will, the gospel of Mark is about the Savior coming into the world, the Savior appearing, and the Savior beginning his mission. He was baptized in the Jordan, and I didn't mention this. It's like people ask me, they go, well, if Jesus was sinless, why did he get baptized? Well, I mean, he's setting the example for us, and he's identifying with us. He's going to take all our sins upon us. He's showing us how this works. Baptism allowed Jesus to identify with us. When I get baptized, it allows me to identify with him. And so if I get baptized, I'm saying I'm surrendering to him. Well, then we go, okay, good. Now we're done, right? No, now comes the next part. As Jesus walks along, he's calling his disciples to come join him in his mission. Not just that he's going to preach, he's going to teach them how to preach. Not just that he's going to help them find a right relationship with God, he's going to show them how to show others how to find a right relationship with God. And so he calls four fishermen. It does not say, as Jesus walked beside a seminary, he called four graduate students. As Jesus walked beside a basketball court, he called four outstanding athletes. As Jesus walked by Wall Street, he called the richest people. Mm-mm. first disciples were four ordinary guys fishing. He goes, 
I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. And you think about the picture of that. Fishers of men. I mean, what do fish do? Fish swim around aimlessly, just trying not to get eaten. That's what fish do all day. They swim around aimlessly, just trying to get a meal and trying not to become a meal. I mean, it's a dog-eat, well, it's a fish-eat-fish world. And what if there could be someone who could rescue you from that life and pull you out of that life and give you a mission and a purpose that was so far beyond just making it through the day? Have you ever wanted more? Not just being saved for heaven someday. Do you understand the power of the Holy Spirit is so we can live full life this day? Right now. Right here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Finish it with me. On earth as it is in heaven. Now. And Jesus makes that possible. Right here. That's what he's talking about. Come join me in my mission. It's more important. So here's Mark 3. We'll get to, we'll tell you about the other eight later on, but I'm skipping ahead just for this first so you can understand how it worked. Jesus appointed 12 disciples, 12 of them, and called them to be his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out. That's what the word apostle means, one who is sent. Somebody sent out to preach, giving them the authority to cast out demons. Jesus said, I want you to come join me in the, in the mission. To have a purpose beyond just getting a job, doing a job, beyond just swimming around aimlessly. Here's a life application. Jesus is calling us to join in his mission too. Join him in his mission too. See, the disciples were to make disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. It's our turn. We're the current generation of disciples. We are. If you're in the sound of my voice, you and I are the current generation of disciples here on planet Earth. We are. He wants us to be fishers of men. To have an existence beyond just making it through the day. He wants us to repent, believe, be baptized, and then join him in his mission. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He told that to the original disciples, and he told them to teach the other disciples everything he taught them. Well, that was part of the package. One more life application. His mission must be our top priority. And if you have a pen, if you could write in, this. I wish I would have just put this in instead, but I thought of it this morning when I was reading through this. I wish I would have worded it this way. When Jesus calls, we must answer. I mean, the disciples left their nets right there. When Jesus called, they answered. And what's so significant is, it was out beside the Sea of Galilee. There was no crowd, nobody applauding, no news stories, nobody putting up a plaque in their name. You know why they, you know why they answered? Because he called. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, Jesus said. This is from Luke's gospel. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? You know what Jesus wants us to do when he calls? Answer. You know what you want me to do if you call me on my phone? Answer. Hey, did you get my call? Yeah, I just didn't want to answer because I thought it was you. What? I mean, that would be rude. 
Some of you here today, God is calling you to step into a deeper understanding of him. He's calling you to follow him. I know it. I know it because his word never returns void. I cannot read this passage without believing that God is not calling some of you. Today, right now, if you're in the sound of my voice, even when you're watching this online, God is calling you. His Holy Spirit will work through these words. I will never forget in my life how he called me. I, some of you know that I took a job. I studied engineering uh, at Kansas State. I'd grown up on a farm. I took this job that transferred me uh, with a company that transferred me down to Montgomery, Alabama. I was a thousand miles from anybody I knew. And I was just going, oh, man, what have I done? I'm so far from home. But I got involved with a ministry to high school kids uh, called Young Life, and I went to a leaders meeting, and in walks this gorgeous redhead who I'm married to now. And I called my dad after that meeting. I said, things are looking up. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be here. I'm definitely supposed to be here now. So I thought, wow, this is great. I got this job, and I met this beautiful girl. Well, that was just the beginning. There was much more in store. Because I took the beautiful girl on a date. We're both Christians, and uh, at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, there was a woman speaking, the wife of a missionary who'd been martyred, a man by the name of Jim Elliott. His wife, Elizabeth, was speaking at Trinity Church. And so we thought, well, I want to go here. I read her book, and I thought, man, I'd like to go see what she has to say. Well, we get in there, and she's going to share her testimony, and she was talking about some of the same stuff that we're talking about here this morning. She said, before I begin this talk, I just really feel like God wants me to challenge somebody. She said, I believe that God has a call on someone's life to go into full-time ministry, and if he has put that call on your life, you need to answer. I have never had, I felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest. I thought I was just going to get sick. I mean, in fact, my wife even said, are you getting sick? I mean, you look terrible. Well, you're looking good. But anyway, but, uh, but anyway, the whole thing was, I was just feeling horrible. I couldn't even, I couldn't wait for this thing to be over. I went up to the front afterward and I said, okay, what gives? I mean, I prayed about this job. I got down here. I'm, I'm glad I took this job because now I met this girl, this girl of my dreams. And this is going to be amazing and all this stuff. But now you're telling me I got to go in full-time ministry and I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know where to go in full-time ministry. And she goes, oh, let's, don't worry about that. He just got a hold of your heart today. You just make sure you're open. When he calls, answer. It was a few months later that he did. I quit my job. I answered. I left my nets. Best decision I ever made. When Jesus calls, will you answer? What if he's calling you to go on a mission trip this year? What if he's calling you to forgive somebody this day? What if he's calling you to surrender your life to him right now? Will you answer? The disciples didn't do it for fame. There was no one there. They're famous now. They weren't then. Will you and I answer? I told you, this story is amazing. The Savior comes into the world. Heaven's ripped open. 
Holy Spirit descends down upon him. John the Baptist says, oh, you get, you, you're not going to believe this guy. I can, I can baptize you about repentance, but he can give you the Holy Spirit. You can have abundant life right now, right here. Then Jesus goes on and he says, not only can you have abundant life, you can join me in my mission. You don't have to swim through life aimlessly. You can become a fisher of men. You can rescue people. Just like you got rescued, you can rescue people from that meaningless, worthless life. But we must answer when the call comes. Point four. And this is all in chapter one. I didn't even hit the whole thing. There's more in there. Here's another part of it. Jesus didn't allow anything to distract him from his mission. So here's another part. So he's called the disciples. They went to Simon and Andrew's home. You know, they're brothers. And Simon's mother-in-law was there. She was sick in bed with a high fever. And so they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. And then when the fever left her, then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Because Jesus is stronger than disease. You're going to see that in the next couple of chapters. You've got to be here for the rest of this. This is just amazing stuff on every page. Well, then the fever left her. She prepared a meal for him. And that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. Now, I want you to underline that. And I want to explain this because people write me questions about this all the time. If you have a question, you can email me. I'll do my best to answer it. But this is one I get all the time. Why did he tell them not to speak? What was up with that? Well, I told you before, when we defined Messiah and Christ, meaning Savior, that it meant political Savior. Well, Jesus was going to unpack with his disciples over the next three years. And in his ministry, he teaches about this a lot, that he was coming to establish a different kind of kingdom. But this is right at the beginning, and he's trying to not get this all hijacked. And if people hear the word Messiah, oh, he's running for office, and the healing is part of his campaign. No. No, he's coming to kick the Romans out and lower our taxes. No, I'm coming to kick the devil out and pay for your sins. That's a better deal. Well, he's going to give us a more comfortable life. I'm coming to give you eternal life. So he had to tell the demons, shut up. Don't tell them that yet. They can't handle it. It was the baggage that came with the title Messiah. I mean, I live with somewhat a very small part of that, just being a pastor. I mean, there's baggage that comes with that when people find out I'm a pastor. It even happened to my kids. I mean, my middle son, Evan, it was so funny when he was in high school on his football team, if they have a dinner or something like that, then he'd go there and everybody go, well, uh, somebody needs to pray. And they go, Evan, why don't you pray for us? Your dad's a pastor. And Evan would come home, and if you knew Evan, you would just love this. He'd come and go, Dad, what, what is that? Why would that mean that I know how to pray because you're a pastor? I mean, why would that work? I mean, what if I don't know how to pray? What if I'm terrible at praying? I go, well, how'd you do it? Well, I went fine. It was great. It was no big deal. But, but it just, why would they do that? And I go, well, it's part of the baggage. I mean, it happens to me. If I'm somewhere and you've got to pray, it's like, oh, let John pray. I mean, he's got speed dial or whatever, you know, on the prayers. But Jesus dealt with this baggage all the time. And he's going, no, i got to unpack this for you guys so you understand I'm not coming to set up an earthly kingdom. But anyway, so he has ministry till late in the night. Listen to what happens next. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. 
But Jesus replied, well, well, then we must go on to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. He wasn't going to let people's misunderstanding of his title distract him. He wasn't going to let crowds distract him. He was going to stay on mission, on point, spreading the good news, telling people to repent and come to Jesus, receive the good news, to follow him. Here's a life application for you and me. For us to stay on mission, we must spend daily time with God. I mean, Jesus identified with us in baptism. Jesus identified with us in this way too. He was fully human as we are, but he never sinned. He did it right. You got to read this verse along with just, you don't have to read it out loud, but just follow along. The Lord draws me back to this verse over and over again in my own personal life. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Underline this part, next part. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. Oh, I feel like that's a word to us today. God is calling us to follow him, to join him in his mission, but for us to get to keep from being distracted and overcome with the worries and fears of daily life, I've got to get apart and pray and read my Bible and reconnect with him so I can find quietness and confidence. With that in mind, listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Guarded with quietness and confidence. And if I'm running through life just stressed and anxious and worried and afraid and covered up in all this junk, I can't see straight and I'm going to get distracted and the devil will be sure to put shiny things in front of me, so I'm going to go the wrong way. And Jesus didn't let people's misunderstandings about his title. He didn't let crowds. He didn't let anything distract him. One final note, Jesus was too busy not to pray. You and I can make excuse after excuse. Well, I'm too busy to pray. I don't have time. You got more to do than Jesus did? I don't think so. He was too busy not to pray. What's my excuse? Jesus wants us to have full life now. He wants us to stay on mission. He invites us to be part of it but we must answer the call and stay focused on him. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Mark's faithfulness to write down what you inspired him to write. And, oh, gracious God, I pray that we would not turn a deaf ear. Lord, if you are calling us to obedience, if you are calling us to step to a deeper level of commitment to you, if you are calling us to ministry, full-time, part-time, volunteer, wherever, then we must answer. If we've been prideful, we need to humble ourselves. If we've been wrong, we need to say we're wrong and apologize. And if we're afraid, then we need to trust in you. But we must answer. Do not let this moment pass. If the Lord is calling you to something, say, Lord, I'm listening. I heard you. I will answer. If you give me the desire and the power to do so, I will answer. I will answer your call. And God, I just pray also that you would help us focus on you every day. And quietness and confidence is our strength because it's your power, not our own.
And foolishly, we think we can work harder and get it done in our own strength. That will never work. He didn't ask us to do it in our own power. Make these things plain to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.